Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You're listening to the Wes and Walker Show. His thing was, he was always like, oh, I'm, you, you never let me taste your meat, et cetera, and so on. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I, you're such a hard marker when it comes to that kind of thing. I needed to perfect it in order to make sure that it was okay for him. It's Wes. Scar the man for life. And Walker. No, I think that's fair. I think you needed to perfect your meat before Fiddy ate it. Sure. I think that's totally fair. <laughs> and not in any way crazy or inappropriate. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNC. Hey, look <laughs> at my juicy brisket. Look at it. <laughs> Weston Walker Show, Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. Keep the text coming on the FanDuel text line, 704-570-9610. And listen, we got a lot of news. Let's not even hold it up without further ado. Let's get to it. It's time for the campus. Kona! Caitlin Clark made a lot of news yesterday and what has to be one of the earliest draft declarations that I've seen uh, during the season, still a lot of basketball to be played. But she said, while this season is far from over and we have a lot more goals to achieve, it will be my last one at Iowa. I'm excited to be entering the 2024 WNBA draft. There's been lots of speculation as to whether she would make more money staying in school, whether she would be better off staying in school because of that. But she has put all the speculation to rest. I'm guessing that she must have been pretty tired of hearing about it and said, I'm going to the league and walk a mail. How fast will it take you to have that Indiana Fever That's jersey right. ordered with number 22 for Caitlin? Well, I would love to have a duo of Caitlin Clark and Aaliyah Boston on the T-shirt now because while it only shows up every once in a while, it's not like we're talking a whole lot of Indiana Fever down here in Charlotte, but Aaliyah Boston and Caitlin Clark, maybe people will start to talk a little more about the Fever, having two back-to-back number one overall picks, and now the champions that were, what was it, like the early 2010s? I still wanted Tamika Catchings t-shirt, and I've never been able to find one that I mm. like well enough, but love Tamika Catchings, and now the fact that Clark will be drafted number one overall by the Fever, and having Boston as well. I mean, how lucky can you get having those types of picks back-to-back and then getting the stars of the college basketball scene going up there? Really excited, because I know my family up in Indiana are also going to be going to a lot more games. Yeah, I think this is pretty cool, too. I, I went back and forth on it, and I thought that she would probably make more money staying in school, but it appears to her that either money's not the objective or she's still going to make plenty of money, which I think is the case. I think she's still going to make bank playing in the WNBA, and we talked about this yesterday in here. The ticket sales for when she plays games are exorbitant. People travel to see her play. Every stadium she plays in is sold out, and there's been a lot of women over the last 
probably 10, 20 years that they have said this is going to be the one that's going to get the eyeballs on the women's game like you want to. But I think this is truly the woman who is going to be able to do that. I know that I will be watching her games as well in the WNBA because I peek in on it every now and again anyway. But I know for Caitlin Clark, I'm excited to see what she's going to do. Well, the money thing. So Darren Ravel got dragged and also got the readers added context on his tweet when he said Caitlin Clark chooses a $750,000 pay cut which isn't true. Like, th- this is the thing about NIL, man. Those national sponsorship deals, they're going to follow Caitlin Clark when she leaves Iowa and goes to Indiana. Those national sponsorship deals, they don't just stop. They're likely going to roll with her. I guess it's not a guarantee, but I don't know why you would drop it once Caitlin Clark continues to play basketball, and she'll be doing so on the WNBA landscape. So basically, when you're talking about a rookie salary of 75 k only 75 k it's mm-hmm. weird, but $75,000 for Clark. Like, you're going to be making so much more on this national sponsorship deals. Plus, she can make up to 245000 on a Supermax deal once she gets there. And the fact that you declare early means you can get to your Supermax quicker because you're declaring and not going back to Iowa. Plus, you have these bonuses, a part of a marketing deal, a marketing deal as well. All that to say, we want to keep it simple. Caitlin Clark's still going to be making a lot of money, and she's not taking this massive pay cut because she's not playing at Iowa anymore. Pretty, what did you think? Are you excited to see Caitlin Clark? Because I know you and I both sided together saying that we felt she should go back to Iowa before this announcement came. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I thought she was going to go back to school. I, I think the fact that she went ahead and did this now just shows you how, how committed she is to actual Iowa and winning a national championship because – if this wasn't announced during the tournament, that'd be every time she got behind the microphone. And she she doesn't want her current team to have to deal with that. Um, and I'm with you. you know, we're, we're living in Good a point. day and time where um, the women's game on the college side is as popular as it's ever been. And she could help elevate the WNBA back to where it was when... You know, Diana Taurasi and those women were playing the game and doing so at a very high level. Or and even higher. But no, it's a good point. By, I, I didn't think about that, but you're right. There was going to be a lot of questioning surrounding that because it would be a huge storyline going in. And the fact that she just said, no, guys, we're not going to do this. I'm yeah. going. You guys know. Now we can talk about the game and this run. And I was she's about a to very selfless player, so this doesn't surprise me that she would do that. But big weekend on deck for the ACC, starting with the rivalry game that Fitty would very much agree. And based off how Carolina dominates this, is not really <laughs> a rivalry. They're 30 and seven against NC State and Chapel Hill, including five wins in a row. Entering the game at UNC, NC State has a 1.4 chance of making the 2024 NCAA tournament. That's according to BartTorvik.com. The formula for an upset starts with DJ Horn. He's averaged 24 points in February. He only had six points, missing 14 of 16 shots in the first game against North Carolina. And Armando Baycott, if you're looking for him to have a big game, this is one of the opponents he could do it against. In his last three games against NC State at the Smith Center, he's averaged 19 points and 13 boards. And so when we look at this matchup, how much danger is UNC in, if any, as round two with NC State approaching. If you go by the North Carolina is going to get everybody's best shot approach, then yeah, they're always going to be in some danger, especially if you want to do the whole, this is a rivalry game and you have to throw out the records. 
that's not necessarily been the case in this specific rivalry. North Carolina has had their way. We've seen NC State show up every now and then, but it seems like we're closer to the days of North Carolina being a national powerhouse. And usually when that's the case, they take care of business against NC State. Plus, the Wolfpack have not shown you anything as a reason as to why we should trust them down the line. I think North Carolina is going to roll. Yeah, I think North Carolina is going to win this basketball game too. I think it'll be close at points, but I think Carolina will get this thing done. It's just the fact that NC State, as we said, they're 30-7 against NC State in Chapel Hill, including five wins in a row. State just doesn't have many answers for them hardly ever. Fiddy, how do you see this matchup going? Look, uh, State needs this if they want to have any hope to make a deep run in the ACC tournament to maybe win themselves into the NCAA tournament. They might be playing for Kevin Keats's job because he's never lost a locker room despite not being a consistent winner there in Raleigh. But, man, Hubert Davis was not happy with his team after they won on Monday night. The first thing he said was, I can't wait to get to practice on Wednesday. I think Carolina responds. and I think they blow NC State out again. Let's go. Heels. There we go. Shout out to Mark <laughs> from Gastonia, man. He needs a lot of our thoughts and prayers. And so big shout to MFG. I did want to ask you this real quickly, Fiddy. Um, what is Hubert Davis's hatred level for NC State? Like, I know nobody can come close to Roy Williams, who refuses to wear red. Is Hubert Davis within any, like, close proximity to that? Well, I mean, you got to remember, when he got to Carolina in the late 80s, early 90s, State was still really good. You had fire and ice on campus there. So it was right, right, right at the end of their heyday there in the late 80s. There's more of a natural hatred towards Duke because the rivalry was at its maybe its pinnacle when Hubert was on campus. But you can't go to Carolina. You can't wear the right. baby blue and like the Hicks in red. So there, there's enough disdain there mm. for that to carry over after Roy Williams. Mm. Merrill Hodge grunt. <laughs> mm. All right. Well, Duke and Virginia <laughs> will link up in a matchup that has some significance as well. Duke is 59-12 and 12 against Virginia and Durham. 54-10 and 10 at Cameron Indoor. Virginia's 2-3 and three in the last five games against Duke. 4-6. and six. In the last 10, but they did beat the Blue Devils, and a win would give them back-to-back wins at Cameron Indoor. And I was saying that they beat them at Cameron Indoor last year would give them back-to-back wins there for the first time since 1982. Duke is currently second in the ACC standings at 13-4, and and Virginia is third at 12-6. and Duke is second to only North Carolina in the ACC in scoring offense as well, but also has the fourth-best scoring defense in the conference, giving the Blue Devils the best points per game margin in the league. And Duke is also the best three-point shooting team in the ACC. We know we talked about Virginia yesterday and what was missing from this team. Do they have any shot to go into Cameron and knock off the Blue Devils? So Virginia's had a roller coaster season. They were getting blown out by 20 points regularly at the beginning. And then they went on a roll where they just didn't lose. And they actually put up some points. I mean, 80 points against Florida State on the road. Okay, respectable. At least you're getting to the mid-60s, mid-60s in that road win that they had against Clemson. Okay, that's respectable. But then they just went on the streak where you score 63 against Pittsburgh. In a win, you get 49 against Wake. You lose with 41 against Virginia Tech. I mean... I would like to know if there is a record for how many consecutive games you've gone with only reaching the 40-point threshold. It was three before you beat Boston College. At least they got the offense going a little bit. 
even if it was against an inferior opponent, at least you got that back on track on the road. Wes, I can't believe in this offense. What am I supposed to do with that? You got three straight outings with 40 points. I know Duke's not good defensively, but they're still really talented. I think Duke's going to be able to win this game, especially with it being at Cameron Indoor. Yeah, I think Duke gets the job done, and I think that you know they handle business against Virginia. Virginia just doesn't have enough uh, offense, but I think that they make it ugly like they're known to do. And so I think that, you know, they do have the fourth best scoring defense in the conference. So I expect this to be a low scoring game with both of these teams uh, getting some stops. But I think Duke just has too many playmakers. Uh, we talked about it as far as Reese Beekman, Isaac McNeely, only two guys averaging double figures in your leading score, only averaging 14 points a game. That's not going to cut it. Is this the ugliest year that we've seen from Virginia? Because we've had plenty to choose from. It's a joke, and it's been a joke. Yeah, they for a relied while. strictly on their defense this year because they don't have enough firepower. They they usually, even if they don't have NBA draft picks, they'll at least have some guys that are ACC good. Should be all AC. And Reese Beekman, I guess, is that. I mean, especially defensively, but it's been been really tough to watch for for a long stretch and when they lose that's how they get blown out by 20. Pretty how big of a matchup is this and how do you see it playing out? I mean it's it's massive because if Carolina wins and Duke were to get upset the Tar Heels would wrap up a share of the ACC regular season title with a week to go. I wish I was confident and believing that Virginia could go there and win. I just I just don't see it happening. I mean, I, I, Duke blowing them out, I don't think, is on the table here because you just you, – it's hard to blow Virginia out as consistently as, as they've been blown out this year. But I think Duke and Kyle Flopowski and those boys, I think they huh. get a big win at home. All right. Wake Virginia Tech, my Demon Deacons, back at it once again. They're 34-38 all-time against Virginia Tech. Steve Forbes is 3-2. and two. Wake has won the last three matchups. They're 9-16 overall in Castle. And when you talk about Wake's tournament chances, they're in the top 30 in both net rankings and Ken Palm as of February 29th. I think the Demon Deacons play one of their better road games of the year and get a victory not just because they have to, but I think this team generally responds well to losses, and I think that they'll go to Virginia Tech and take care of business. I think Wake wins, but I just don't know with this Not team anymore. Hesitant. I know. Like, wait, it's, <laughs> it's on the road. I think Wake wins, but I I certainly hope so. You're not very confident no. in it, though. No, 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 yeah. I'm not confident. Virginia Tech, is. this is what they do, especially at this time. They've done it the last couple of years. So, yes, a lot of this is because Wake just, you can't rely on them. A lot of it is also, this is what Mike Young does up in Blacksburg. At the end, it's, it's you know, game wrecking time. Now it's tourney chance wrecking time. Like, that's what they've been able to do the last couple of seasons, and maybe this is what they do to Wake Forest up in Blacksburg. Yeah, I'm 60-40, though. I'll be honest with you. You, know? you feel I'm good? 60-40 on the win. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 60-40, though. It's 40% where I'm at. Yeah. Ugh. How are you feeling, Fitty? Look, man. Uh-oh, you're doing it. I can see it. Oh, yeah. Look, I, I love Steve Forbes. We've adopted him as a, like maybe our show coach. If we had a coach though that we wanted, it would, that. it would be Steve Forbes. I love their talent. They maybe have as good a starting five in the ACC. You're 2-8 and eight away from home. You couldn't win at Notre Dame. Notre Dame lost by 20 at home to Micah Shrewsbury, which led to him saying publicly he would help players go to compliance so they could transfer. And I'm supposed to believe you're going to go on the road against a program that... Now they were on a winning streak before they played weight. Yeah, I know, but still. But now I expect you to go on the road <laughs> on a, in a venue that's a lot more West tougher. easy. A yeah. lot more tougher than what you lost to on Wednesday and got beat? 
No. I think Virginia Tech wins, and we'll be back here on Monday talking about our confidence in state making the tournament mm. for the third straight year. All right. Well, we'll see about that one. Uh, also, too, Walker Mail, your Charlotte 49ers got a big one on Saturday where they get their lick back against South Florida. At home, I think so. Yeah, I'm going to go with it, too. They're struggling right now down the stretch, but I'm going to roll with it, man. South Florida's good. uh, They had them. I'm going to get my gold mine and pan out Saturday, man. They can get this thing done. Hopefully you find some. Pretty do the uh, 49ers get it done? I think so, because like Walker said. Thank you, Fitty. They were at, what, 17 on the road before they blew that game in the second half, and they blew it on... Just a terrible pick and roll where there was no coverage, no commi- you know, no communication. They give up a wide up lay, wide up and layup. That doesn't happen. Halton's going to be rocking. I'm, I'm ready, man. The Niners get back in position to defend their CBI title. <laughs> That's the kind of passion I wanted from you against Memphis. Thank you. All right, folks. Well, when we come back, can the Panthers' defense get better in 2024 on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ? McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ reminding you to hang out with us for the Friday finale of the Michelob Ultra Charlotte Hornets watch party. It'll be at the Graham Street Pub and Patio in Uptown Charlotte again Friday, March 8th. We'll be there at 6 p.m. Tip-off will take place at 7 p.m. So not only are you going to be hanging out with us, Wesson Walker, but you'll also be hanging out with Michelob Ultra and watch the new look Hornets face the Washington Wizards. Please get a win. Against the Wizards. I can't take two losses against the Wizards this well, year. They almost beat the Lakers last night. I did see that. I did. Just not not <laughs> The two, Wizards! Not, not two times. You already lost a couple times to the Pistons. Don't do it to the Wizards twice this season. We'll have signed Hornets merch too, plus your chance to win tickets to a future Hornets home game, other great prizes, and uh, a big thank you to our friends at Michelob Ultra. We had a blast last time. So many people walking out there. Me and Fiddy got a new t-shirt from the Dancing Usher. Who showed up that was really cool so maybe you get a free t-shirt out of it we got to talk some kicks we got to talk what else oh yeah we also got a big time contact i don't want to throw out the business like that but one listener one of our favorites i would say i think that's fair he showed up watching the hornets game real cool to watch with him uh herman photography by the way you know just to give him a plug he showed up and because of a certain rapper that we talked about how we would love to have him on the show mm-hmm. somehow some way herman photography had the hookup 
And I was a happy boy once I found out that he had the hookup. <laughs> now, once we get into the real tough part of sports radio, June, once we get to July, maybe we can deploy that contact and see, just see if we can get this guy on the station. But man, oh man, that would be a great interview it to have. It would be. And so we appreciate Herman Photography. And so now Wes is going to be out there. He wasn't out there the first time. So big thanks to Michelob Ultra, you, the listener, for hanging out with us. Graham Street Pub and Patio, always a fun environment. Again, Friday, March 8th, the week from today, 6 p.m., tip at 7 p.m., watching the Hornets take on the Washington Wizards. The Carolina Panthers, their defense was pretty good last year. Certainly the bright spot compared to the offense, and that was a low bar. The Panthers finished top five in some categories, top 10 unit overall, Lajero Averro. He was a coach that decided to come back. Dave Canales really wanted him to come back after Frank Reich was fired. And Canales said, no, please don't leave this organization. This was a big reason as to why I would agree to, one, take this job. I think he would still take it, but he really wanted Averro and that staff back. And here is Averro and all the other guys, all the assistants. They're returning as well, Wes. And so if they were good last year, the big decisions that you have to make are at pretty premium positions, especially with your pass rusher and Brian Burns. You got to figure that out. Derek Brown extension, Frankie Louvu being a good linebacker, as we talk about the importance of that position continuing to go up in this day and age in football. And so Joe Person of The Athletic wrote an article about how they could get better. Let's start with step one. Step one is pretty clearly let Brian Burns eat. If you have him on the roster, then you need to let him eat. And here are some of the stats that limited Burns last year. Opposing quarterbacks dropped back on only 32.8% of their fourth quarter snaps against the Panthers. That was easily the NFL's worst percentage in the last five years and not even in the same ballpark as the league-wide average of 60.6%, according to True Media. Joe Person does point out that Brian Burns bears some responsibility for his dip from 12 and a half to eight sacks, his fewest since his rookie season, but watching opponents keep handing off the ball in the fourth quarter certainly wasn't ideal. How bad was Brian Burns last year compared to previous seasons, Wes? And how limited was he because the offense was so terrible that they just couldn't get a lead and that I don't know how much money it took out of Brian Burns' pocket, but it certainly attempted to with how it limited Burns' ability to go into the backfield and collect some sacks. Yeah, I mean, taking away those fourth-quarter pass rush opportunities do play a part, but this was also a defense that, you know, struggled against the run, and that's the method in which teams chose to attack them. But I still feel like that he had enough chances to have better numbers than what he had. But for Brian Burns, you know, I don't know if it was the scheme switch. And then we did see games where he would miss some tackles. He would have some guys dead to rights. They would get out of his uh, sights and be able to make plays, and he wasn't able to make the sack. So there are a lot of different factors as to uh, why the numbers weren't what they were. And so, like I said, the fourth quarter statistics are uh, a very tangible one, no question about it. But there were still three other quarters in which he had opportunities to get to the quarterback. And there were some games, you know, where you just didn't really feel his presence at all. And that was one of the issues I'd said I'd had with him uh, in the beginning when we started this whole thing up was that sometimes I just felt like you didn't feel Brian Burns on a regular basis like you do some of the league's top pass rushers where they just constantly a pest, like a Max Crosby from the Raiders. Nobody's saying that he has a ton of help, 
Uh, the Raiders are in uh, situations a lot of times to where teams can choose to run the ball against them late in games. But what I'm saying is that by feeling his presence, this is a guy that's going to be a pest no matter what. Max Crosby gets in the backfield. He's going to touch the quarterback. He's going to hit him. He's going to pester him. He's going to do all the little things to let him know, hey, I'm here, and I'm going to be here all day. And that's the thing I think that you want to see. I think that's the next step in the evolution of Brian Burns is that on at least at, at minimum, every other series, are there going to be one to two plays where you really feel his presence on the football field? So, yeah, I do think, as I said, the fourth quarter opportunities weren't necessarily there for him, but I still think that there were more opportunities where he could have a chance to exert himself. And, again, the thing that, that keeps me on board with Brian Burns, it's not just the sacks, but the tackles for loss people have to account for. And we talked about that earlier this week. And people just act like the tackles for loss don't matter at all. And you and I were talking about during the break, uh, combine warriors and different things like that. And, yeah, it's not just about the sacks. It is about the tackles for loss as well. How much disruption are you causing on both sides uh, of the coin when you talk about the run and the pass, and he did only have one less tackle for loss than he had last year, and he had four less quarterback hits there. So there's still some disruption there, and his pass rush win rate is win rate is very respectable. So you know, hopefully next season, getting some more help, allowing some more opportunities as far as more one on ones and things of that nature, should be able to help him get back to where he was. I'm glad you. I'm glad you brought up Max Crosby, though, because Crosby is towards the top of the edge rushers that get paid and deserves every single penny he gets because his motor is crazy. He's a good run stuffer as well. Like he's worked at that part of his game and has become a pretty good run stopper. But clearly he makes his he, he makes his money by going after the passer. Mm-hmm. Max Crosby, according to Pro Football Focus, had six hundred and fifty seven pass rush snaps, six fifty seven. Brian Burns had 379. Max Crosby had almost 300 more pass rushing snaps than what Brian Burns did. Just that. So if you're talking about sacks, according to, and if you go to pro football reference compared to pro football focus, it's a little different because they have their different grading system, but it's still tangible, right? Max Crosby credited with 15 sacks to PFF, nine for Brian Burns. Can Brian Burns get three more in 300 more pass rush snaps. You'd like to think so. The odds would say, yeah. Yeah. And so if that's the case, then he's probably not all that far off from Crosby, right? Like as far as a per snap production basis, look, I think Crosby's one of the best in the league. I don't think Brian Burns is good as Max Crosby. That's not what I'm trying to tell you. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to tell you is I do think that the fourth quarter thing actually matters a ton. Because you're going to hear it from every single analyst that goes to this cliche all the time in crunch time of these NFL games. This is the time when this star pass rusher X can really pin his ears back and get to that quarterback on third down in a crucial moment. There was not one of those moments for Burns. Not one. And so the fact that you have more than almost 300, that's crazy to me. I think that's a big deal. But to be fair, I don't think you're wrong. You're right. Like You bring up some of those moments where it felt like Burns applied pressure, which matters. But... Not closing the deal was an issue, and you hope to – I don't even know how 
you can calculate that into, okay, there was some luck involved with some of the guys that were able to escape that pressure. Like, I don't know what the advanced metrics on that would be, but you're right. You would like for him to get home more because we saw him. I think there was a Seattle, the Seattle game in particular stands out where he got to the backfield multiple times, but missed tackles, whether it be in the run game, mm-hmm. it felt like they were able to spin out of it or whether it be in the passing game too, and just didn't finish. So yeah, we'll see about Brian Burns. Um, next one up. According to Joe Person, how does this defense get better? One is, okay, bringing Brian Burns, keeping a star edge rusher. But what about adding another one? How high on the priority list is this for you, Wes, adding another guy opposite Burns? Oh, it, it's paramount. You got to be able to find it from somewhere, whether you go out in free agency. And, and you don't have to have – you don't have to bring in another guy that's going to be 15 sacks. You don't need that. But what you got from YGM and all those guys, the four-and-a-half sacks and – uh, but you need a guy over there that can at least apply fairly consistent pressure and maybe get close to the 10-sack mark, if not over that. If you could find a guy that can get over that, then you've hit the goal mine. But can you find a guy that can get you 8-9? Can you do that? Uh, but I think, yeah, you have to, man. you got to balance out that defense, else teams are going to game plan you. And they're going to say, look, we're just going to allocate our best resources over there to Brown and Burns because they play on the same side, and we're going to negate that, and then we're just going to exploit everything else uh, on this defensive line. That's why I said I think that that defensive end, if you're in your base set or a guy that can come down and be a, a really athletic three technique, you got to be able to find that on the other side of that defense and then put another uh, edge over there with him so that they can eat too. And then it balances out the line because right now, you know, their pass rush, it looks like one guy. Yeah. And what's tough is we all know how big of a deal it is. And we've known it in a couple of different instances. We knew how much help Brian Burns needed from a pass rushing standpoint before Hassan Reddick was here. Then Hassan Reddick plays for the Panthers and he has an 11 sack season in 2021. Carolina, Scott Fitterer, they decide to move into a different direction and let Reddick go. And they haven't been able to replicate that kind of production at all, despite spending a high draft pick on YGM, which I liked at the time, by the way. I thought there was some production, not a ton, but there was enough production to, I think, warrant what was pretty good athletic testing, too, from YGM. And it seemed like people celebrated that pick. But it hasn't worked out a ton. Like, I think there were some flashes last year. There were some times that we had mentioned his name, but clearly not enough. And so you're going to have to look at that continuously as we move on. You still have to take care of so many other things. And Joe Person makes that point in the athletic article. He says the Panthers are unlikely to be able to tag or sign Brian Burns, extend Frankie Louvu, and defensive tackle Derek Brown. And on top of that, sign a top tier edge. So all four of those things happening, right? That's what's going to be really tough. And he mentions, even if Brant Tillis is widely accepted to be one of the smart cap guys in the league, he's still not a miracle worker. You still do, despite what the Saints might have you believe, you still do have to work within the parameters of the salary cap. And you're not going to be able to add that on top of keeping everybody else in-house. I think this is one you're probably going to have to hit down the road and, and keep the guys in-house. And, you know, hopefully you can hit on it down the road rather than address opposite edge rusher this year. Unless you luck up on a guy that, I mean, you know, if you if you look at it on a priority list, it depends on how your draft board goes. But we know the three positions of the most need for the Panthers, a wide receiver, offensive line, and edge rusher. If you were to draft a guy in the fifth, sixth round, 
who knows, you could end up finding a hidden gem. I mean, obviously, that's wishing on a star, but that's what this NFL game is built off of, mid to late round picks coming up. So maybe the Panthers hit on a guy that they draft. You know, we nobody yeah. thought DJ Johnson was going to be that guy. <laughs> but they did not. maybe they pick a guy in that fourth, fifth round that ends up emerging. And maybe don't trade up for him and get rid of assets, and maybe just hopefully they fall to you instead of getting rid of assets and then being wrong and then having – a 25-year-old raw prospect that didn't do anything. Don't do that anymore. Hopefully they're smarter about that. A couple of other things left on the list. We know about Frankie Louvu. That's a big deal. We know about Derek Brown. We've talked about that a lot. I don't know how much we've talked about Shaq Thompson. We've mentioned him a little bit, but that's the fifth point, according to Joe Person. He said Shaq Thompson is one of the last remaining links to the franchise's three-year playoff run. Thompson started 10 games as a rookie, and he'll turn 30 in April. And he's coming off of surgery for a fractured fibula that ended his 2023 season after just a couple of games. But before that, he had been playing at a pretty high level. Like, I think I'm going to disagree with a lot of what the text line will write in sometimes. Mm -hmm. He's not consistently great. He'll give you great games. But ultimately, I think he's consistent enough to warrant being a starting linebacker in the league. I think this defense is better with Shaq Thompson out there on the field alongside Frankie Lubu. Plus, with that leadership aspect, I think that matters for this squad trying to get rid of all of this bad culture that has surrounded them during the David Tepper tenure. So if all that matters and we're trying to figure out how the defense gets better next year, Wes, I actually think Shaq Thompson, if healthy, plays a big part. Yeah, I think so, because he's that emotional leader that they're looking for. And so, you know, he definitely has some areas of his game that needs some work, no doubt about it. But he's still a guy that is a a linebacker that that has been productive and a guy that, as you said, is a starting level linebacker. He may not be elite, but he's a starting level linebacker. But as I said, the intangible things that he brings to this team and his defense, the leadership and being able to speak out on things and, and uh, you know, those features about him, I think, are something that this defense needs. So if you look at Dan Morgan talking about Shaq Thompson, too, he said he's trending toward being cleared to participate in the offseason program, which is good. And Joe also mentions, hey, the Panthers likely will be cautious with Thompson, though. So he's 100 percent ready for training camp. Final point. It's something we all got to try to figure out. And and you can you can point to either side of the field, but it's figuring out the secondary. It's trying to figure out your cornerback depth. One, J.C. Horn has to stay healthy. Dante Jackson has to continue to stay healthy like last year, unlike the previous seasons with Carolina. You have to figure out who you're going to pay. Are you going to extend J.C. Horn? Picking up the fifth-year option, I guess, isn't a foregone conclusion. I I would think I would still do it just because I don't want to lose out on that kind of talent, but I guess it's not a foregone conclusion. You can create $6 million in cap space if you cut Dante. That move would leave them, though, with $9.8 million in dead money. So do you want to add more on the dead money, actively paying a guy to not play for you so you can save $6 million in cap space? Dan Morgan was just talking about how they need to be smarter and not push and kick the can down the road. So maybe that was even kind of enlightening us to a little bit of, we'll just go ahead and use Dante as the starter. I don't know. Like, I'm 50-50. I, I feel like I'm the Dante apologist more so than other people, but <laughs> I get it. Like, if you want to cut him, I get it. Like, it makes sense. I'd rather not, but I think both sides of the argument are worth hearing. And we'll figure out what they do with the secondary. But that's the most finicky. Like, we talk about swing positions. 
you can point to any player you want to. That's fine. That position itself is a big swing position encompassing everybody that plays there for Carolina. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think this, the secondary to cornerbacks is something that has to be addressed. And I know you and I talked about it. And if the opportunity arises where they can find a guy, uh, you know, without breaking the bank for it, but a guy that you can maybe count on in a pinch because we see that, J.C. Horn, you can't really go into the season with full confidence that he's going to be healthy. And then we know Dante Jackson, he more than likely will get cut. But this is a guy also, too, that, as I've said many times, you know, just in coverage, I just don't think that, you know, he's the type of guy you can depend on on a consistent basis. And so if you're able to perhaps find a player that you feel like can really come in and develop in your system or through free agency that you think could be an upgrade over Dante and also good enough to be able to be the top corner if J.C. Horn goes down, which at this point you can't rule out expecting that at some point of the year for portions of the year, I think that that's a position for sure that's going to need to be addressed. Yeah, that it's a good point because you almost in a weird, weird way have to find two number one corners because you can't rely on your number one corner now and J.C. Horn to be out there on the field. Mm-hmm. That's why I understood trading for C.J. Henderson Okay, there's not going to be many opportunities to get a top 10 talented guy, even if he wasn't great his first year with Jacksonville. There were still flashes. I think the first game, if I'm not mistaken, he actually played pretty well against Devontae Adams in his first ever game. But Jacksonville was willing to give up on him pretty clearly for a reason. And to get a third round pick for somebody you don't think is going to be good enough, Jacksonville jumped all over it. And Carolina lost that deal very badly. So I I got, and I guess this was even before JC had all this injury history, right? So having CJ on the squad alongside of JC Horn, like in theory, that could have worked, but CJ was terrible. He turned out to be one of the worst corners in the league. So that was why it was terrible. And then JC, one of the best corners in the league, like one of the top 10, 15, 20, however you want to slice it, one of the better ones, just not on the field enough. Yeah. I, I wish it was easy. Like usually... If we are doing the math equation of good first round pick helps this team win when on the field, no brainer pick up fifth year option. That's not what it equals just because the health caveat in here. So now it's good when on the field, want to keep homegrown talent in the system. I I think I want to pick up that fifth year option. It shouldn't be, I think. And yet here we are. That's just the reality because you can't stay up there. So it's tough. The secondary is tough, but some good pieces for sure on that defensive side of the ball. It's Flashback Friday. We take a look back at what happened on March 1st in 2018, 2019, and hop in the time machine. We do that coming up next. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Let's go back in time. It's Flashback Friday. Let's go way back. Way back in time. This is Friday. 
You ain't got no job. Uh-oh. What? My time machine has been activated. Time machine? I didn't know you had a time machine. All right, Rupert. Prepare to time travel. Let's go back, all the way back to March 1st, 2018. Six years ago? God. I know I'm going to do that every Friday we do this, but that's so weird to me. 2018. Time feels flies, like, man. It feels like three years ago, not six years ago. But that was the case, and here was one of the leading stories for a rundown for an old radio show I used to do. Sean Miller, former Arizona head coach, forcefully denies any wrongdoing in wiretap case. What's your reaction? Do you guys remember the wiretap case with Sean Miller, DeAndre Ayton, all that hullabaloo that was going on? I think oh, Chuck yeah. Person also got in trouble for this when he was working down in Auburn, if I'm not mistaken. Or when maybe that was something separate, but I do remember the Sean Miller wiretap Money was case. involved, correct. Yes. It was, what, like half a mil? I think. I don't know about the entire money, but wiretap show Sean Miller discussed 100,000 payments. Okay. And this is before NIL. What's hilarious is like this was a huge deal back then, and now with NIL, it's like, oh, That's okay. Cheap. You ain't getting DeAndre Ayton for 100,000 a day. Yeah, the headline was FBI wiretaps intercepted telephone, uh, telephone conversations between Arizona coach Sean Miller and Christian Dawkins, a key figure in the FBI's investigation into college basketball corruption, in which Miller discussed paying 100,000 to ensure star freshman DeAndre Ayton signed with the Wildcats. Sources familiar with the government's evidence told ESPN. Man, we had the FBI on this, and now it's just a part of normal college sports structure these days. How low down the ranks do you have to be in the FBI? Because with all the drugs, <laughs> sex trafficking, murders, cartels, all this stuff we got going on, and they say, hey, man, we want you to sit on the wire and find out in college basketball who's cheating. Like, you you got to be a guy that got relegated because you did something wrong, and that's going to be your responsibility. I will say it does remind me of the conversations we were having at that point because most people are a lot of people had that same take you did like okay wait is how big of a deal is this but what's crazy is that sean miller was just denying it at every single turn sean <laughs> we know you paid up if you'll remember deandre ayton was a crazy prospect coming out yes. of the bahamas there was a reason that he was the number one overall pick over luca so many people kill phoenix for selecting deandre ayton over luca Doncic. And I get it. Luca was still this. There was absolutely a case to be made to draft Luca over DeAndre. But I remember Jay Billis, Fiddy's new favorite college basketball analyst. Hmm. He said DeAndre had Hall of Fame potential. He was crazy at Arizona. Yes, he was Nuts. number one recruit coming out of high school. All that. And so we know you gave him a hundred thou. It's on the wiretap too. Like we know about it, Sean. And he was nope, didn't do anything wrong. And now he's not at Arizona anymore. Now he's not there. And he probably won't be anybody anywhere else again. No, he isn't. Let's move on to another topic in 2018, March 1st. How much better is Kirk Cousins than Case Keenum? <laughs> Sam Bradford. How much more money would it take the Jets for you to choose Kirk Cousins or for it to you to choose the, uh, the Jets over Minnesota for Kirk Cousins? Because remember, the finesse god at the bank, he was making a ton of money all guaranteed too, trying to figure out if he was going to stay in Washington. Really, it was Washington figuring out if they wanted Kirk Cousins to stay. And this was an, when I was actually a Kirk Cousins warrior, Wes. Mm. I thought Washington should have paid him. And then he goes to Minnesota. And then you have a few too many playoff flameouts, and it doesn't necessarily work. You did have one. You did have one victory where Kirk yeah. actually won the game, too. Like, he was dropping some dimes in that one against the Saints and actually played well last year before he got hurt, too. So Kirk Cousins... Still with Minnesota now, but here we are six years later, Wes. 
we're having another conversation about where Kirk, or Kirk Cousins could end up. Much older now version of Kirk, yeah. but still a very good quarterback that could help a lot of teams win. I mean, game. at the end of the day, the man's a walking 4,500 yards and 30 passing touchdowns every single doggone year, okay? And maybe if he had a supporting cast as good as Brock Purdy's, uh, he would have won two or three Super Bowls by now. You know what I'm saying? Because Kirk Cousins has never had superior supporting cast. Oh, that Vikings team I, you have was I good. don't want to have a big old debate. No, I'm just saying, I mean... Not San Francisco level, you're right. But to have Dalvin Cook, Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen, and Justin Jefferson, that's a lot better than I would say okay, 75%. But and this I, is true, but now you can't mislead the people because you, oh, you, yeah, you made it sound like he had them all. But but Adam Thielen and Stephon he was did. like he did. top three wide receiver doing the league. He did. Can you name a couple guys on that defense? Eric Kendricks was a beast at a linebacker. Daniil right, Hunter's one of the most player. underrated edge rushers. Okay. Everson Two Griffin guys. had double-digit sacks. Okay. Like, actually, Three. I can name a lot. <laughs> like, Harrison Smith was one of all-pro safety. Yeah. Like, there's they, four. Yeah, they had, a, they had a good team, but nobody was talking about the Vikings were going to be Super Bowl. I, okay. All right. Well, anyway, though, I'm just, he is looking for another team yet again. Uh, but Kirk Cousins, like I said to me, Mr. Production. Yeah, the playoff record might not be what it needs to be. And and he has some culpability in that. I'm not going to completely absolve the man. But at the end of the day, you plug this guy into your offense, you're looking at 4,500 yards, 30 touchdowns. Hey, that just is what it is. He was, he was good as hell last year. No, like, for real. I, I thought Kirk, he's older, so you really do have to factor that in and how much you pay him. But I do think Kirk yeah, Cousins. He was 291 a game last year before he got hurt. The the real thing about Kirk isn't defense or weapons. It's the offensive line. That's what I'll grant you. The yeah. offensive line wasn't very good in Minnesota for all those years. Let's move on to 2019, March 1st. How about this? Vinny, we'll go to you on this one. We were talking about our reaction to Bryce Harper signing with the Philadelphia Phillies for 13 bam. years. My boy, bam. Going to the Mets in your divi- in the Mets division, Fiddy. What did you think about this move once it came across your timeline? Uh, surprised. Thought he was going to be a Dodger, and he ends up going to to Philly. Um, I think it's made a lot of fun. He he feels like, as much as he was a national, and it was a big part of turning him into a winner. He feels like a Philly. He looks like a Philly. Like, like he embodies. He embraces this, him too. Yeah, like he embodies what that city. Uh, means and he's a, he has a great relationship with the fan base. So I just thought he was going to LA, and when that deal came through with uh, Philadelphia, it was just kind of starstruck. My dad, diehard Dodger fan, was very pleased because he doesn't believe in signing people to right. 10, 12, 13 year contracts. And we know this because of his take on Shohei Otani. You brought that to the table when we were having the Shohei conversation so much. But I think about Bryce Harper too. I know so many Braves fans hate Bryce Harper and I get it right. Being in the division, man, even when he was catching hell from so many people, even with the average being 260 the first year, 268 the second year, he was still getting on base over 40% of the time. I just... Just so people know, over 40% of the time is an absolute ridiculous MVP level type of number. He didn't have enough numbers elsewhere to really be in the MVP conversation, but then he did win MVP in 2021. That dude's ability to get on base, it never wavered when he was getting a lot of criticism. And guess what his on-base percentage was in 2023? 40%. Mm. Crazy. Like Bryce Harper, people like to criticize him. Bryce Harper is one of the best we got. Yes. And and it's well, that's my guy. He's my favorite player. Yeah, he's he's ridiculous. So that was a fun story in 2019. Last one, Panther-centric topics in 2020. What were we discussing on March 1st in 2020? James Bradbury was seeking 15 million on the open market. Woo. We were asking if that was worth it for Carolina to pay up. I got to tell you, 
what an interesting career that James Bradbury has had. So he goes to the Giants and plays well. We're talking about a pro bowler in 2020, his first year away from Carolina. And so that allowed people that wanted Bradbury to take the victory lap because he was a pro bowler. How many interceptions? He had three interceptions, but very good in coverage. And then the second year with the Giants, I don't think was as good, goes to Philly in 2022 and is an all-pro second team member just two years ago. But then this past year, I think, started to get a little more exposed. So he has elite to very good to average seasons all across the board. But overall, I think maybe the right move for both teams. Okay, you let Bradbury walk, and it hurt him for a little while. But, you know, Bradbury had a pretty good career elsewhere. It's just felt like it was a little inconsistent at times, but still more so above average level. Last one before we move on, Combine Warriors. We were talking about a big one in 2020. I'll give you a guess. You remember who it was, right? 20, big 20. debate on if the Panthers should draft this guy. What position? Just give me a little hint. Oh, this has to be. Yeah, it's it's. I'll, I'll before I say it, I'll let Fitty have the chance to steal. Steal. Is this uh? Is this Davis? No. Nope. 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 I was thinking about the guy who's uh. Okay. <laughs> Thing flopped out during the combine. Okay, all right, that's all why. Right. Of course, okay. that's why you would think about. That. I mean, what is? I've wrong never with seen you? nothing. No, like I mean, because like, everyone was talking about that. Everybody. A I don't even remember warrior? that. I don't even remember com- that. Yes, if that's not a combine <laughs> warrior, I don't know what is. <laughs> Just completely. God. <laughs> all right, kid. I get my hand. Try to have some fun. His thing. His thing was flopping out. <laughs> <laughs> what a ridiculous thing. Uh, he was the linebacker. He was a safety. Hybrid. Hybrid all over the place. Oh, Isaiah Simmons. Isaiah Simmons. Okay, yeah, there we go. Like the combine warrior it, debate but... potential. Yeah, Derek Brown or Isaiah Simmons? We had the question. He had a great day. Does that move him up on the list of players that you like at number seven overall? And if you look at his numbers, 39-inch vertical, 11-foot broad jump, 439, 40-yard dash. It was ridiculous weighing at 230-plus pounds, too. Just number one on all on every single category, and then turned out not to be as good as what we thought. I guess, and I guess you and I have different definitions of combine warrior because I consider those guys the guys that weren't very productive in college, but then go and blow it up mm. at the combine. Because Isaiah was a really good college oh yeah, player, he was. Yep. so the workout matched up with what you saw on tape. But the pros just didn't match up to what you saw on tape. No. Once he got to the pros, man, they no, he didn't. They just can't seem to find a position for him to thrive at. We're coming back in the time machine. That'll do it for Flashback Friday. Vashti Hurt joins us on the other side of the break to kick off the 2 o'clock hour. It's coming up next, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.